John 10, verses 7 to 18. So Yeshua said to them again, Yes, indeed, I tell you that I am the gate for the sheep. All of those who come before me have been thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, he will be safe and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life, life in its fullest measure. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he isn't a shepherd, and the sheep are not his own, sees the wolf coming, abandons the sheep, and runs away. Then the wolf drags them off and scatters them. The hired worker behaves like this because that's all he is, a hired worker. So it doesn't matter to him what happens to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down for my life on behalf of the sheep. Also, I have other sheep, which are not from this pen. I need to bring them, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it away from me. On the contrary, I lay it down of my own free will. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This is what my Father commanded me to do. This, of course, is a very familiar passage for many of us. And... um, If you've been here for the last few Shabbatot, the last few weeks, I'm sure you will have noticed that we've spent a lot of time talking about Yeshua explicitly. And there's a reason for that. Um, Every so often we lose sight of who we are, where we are, because we're distracted and preoccupied by, by all sorts of things. And it's important for us to be able to step back and recognize the vision that God has put before us so that we can sharpen our focus and press forward in that direction. Because, you know, life comes and and you get distracted and you get pulled this way, you get pulled that way, and the Lord wants us to step back and observe and remember what he's called us to do. And so if, if you were here in the fall, you'll remember that we spent a lot of time talking about Israel because a major part of who we are is our heart to see the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, restored, being brought to their Messiah. And through that, um, Scripture tells us that there would be a a worldwide revival, and we very much look forward to that. We've been seeing signs of God doing that, um, 
in the last 30 years, if you're old enough and you have gray hair like I do, then you will have been around for that. Um, otherwise, you've come into it and you've seen something that you take for granted. In either case, it's good to stop back and remember where God is taking us. And of course, major part of who we are, perhaps I should say the major part of who we are, is that we're commanded to be Yeshua-centered. Again, there are all sorts of distractions in life that take us this way, take us that way. And our desire is to be Yeshua-centered. And every so often, God uses strange uh, means to remind us of that. You know, I had a conversation with a, a Jewish fellow who was not a believer, who was part of Yeshua Tzion for a while, and he said to me, why are you guys not talking more about Yeshua? And you could have knocked me over with a feather because this is the last thing you would have expected from this guy who is not a believer. And so this is something that I feel God has been putting on my plate, on my heart actually, to stop and, um, and pay attention to Yeshua, to put him front and center of our thoughts and our, our reality. So I want to do that, start with a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you're the great shepherd. We thank you, Lord, that when we get distracted, you are willing and able to bring us back in line. And uh, Lord God, we desire to see you more clearly. And we ask, Lord God, that you would open our eyes to see you and discern where we stand in relation to you. We pray, Lord, for anyone who doesn't know you today that they will encounter you. And for us who have entered into that relationship with you, we pray, Lord God, for a newfound zeal and passion, Lord God, a heart that goes out after you, Lord. And that's where we desire to be. And so we pray that you take us there in the name of Yeshua. Amen. I know that as you read John chapter 10, um, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense why on earth Yeshua would be speaking to religious leaders and talking about shepherding. Especially in the beginning, Yeshua starts to talk, just gives them a, a little parable um, about the work of a shepherd. Now, if he were speaking to a bunch of farmers, you'd see it would make a, a whole lot of sense. But speaking to a group of Pharisees, uh, it didn't. And obviously, as they're listening to him, uh, they really don't get what he's saying. And perhaps we don't either, especially because as you read John chapter 9 and here into John chapter 10, you kind of scratch your head and say, Lord, why did you decide to talk about shepherding right at this point? Well, let me give you a little background. Um, in chapter 9, we see that Yeshua healed a man who was born blind. 
And uh, the religious establishment, the Pharisees, um, were not too thrilled about that. Because at this point, things had gotten pretty intense. There was a lot of opposition. And um, they brought the man who was healed into this tribunal of Pharisees. And uh, they asked him to give them the correct answer. And this fellow decided not to give them the correct answer and tell them, once I was blind, now I see. That's all there is to it. What else do you want from me? Um, and the Pharisees are very upset and they yell at him and kick him out. And uh, then Yeshua finds him and he talks to them, talks to him rather. And you have to have sanctified imagination because this is drama, okay? Uh, we're not sure exactly when it took place, possibly around Hanukkah time, because the next section is specifically at Hanukkah time. So sometime leading into Hanukkah. And Yeshua is talking to this man. Some Pharisees come along, and they hear what he is saying, and they want Yeshua to give them the stamp of approval and they say to him, this is in chapter 9, verse 40, um, are we blind too? And Yeshua said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. In other words, he's saying, if you guys really knew that you were needy, you wouldn't be asking me that question. You'd know that you were needy and you'd come to me for answers which they obviously didn't. And so Yeshua then proceeds with this parable about the shepherd and sheep. Now, let me take another moment and explain that there are two basic type of shepherding care that were provided back in those days. One was the larger winter uh, shepherding that was provided where you had a number of different um, enclosures that, that uh, a shepherd would bring his sheep into. Um, and part of the process was that there was a watchman there and the, the shepherd of a particular flock would talk to this watchman who would then open the door and let him in. So that was one kind, which is what we see at the beginning of John, uh, chapter 10. Then there was another kind where during winter, um, the shepherd would take the sheep, his particular flock, and go up into the hills and sometimes find a, um, uh, an enclosure, not a complete, a sort of a temporary enclosure. And uh, what he would do then, he would either build up some kind of a temporary door that could be knocked out in a hurry, or else he himself would lie across the threshold to protect the sheep. So you have a couple of different uh, models of shepherding here, and Yeshua uses both of them to make different points. Now, do you wonder why Yeshua spends so much time talking about shepherding? And when you step back and you realize that shepherding was not exactly a noble profession back in those days, not a big money maker, 
and you would typically hang around with these smelly, cantankerous sheep all the time, and you would basically be isolated for much of the time, especially during the summer, from live human beings. You know, you'd be talking to Dolly and, and to Mr. Ram and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, after a few months of that, your sanity might be a little questionable. But Scripture presents shepherding as a noble profession. And you think about it, you wonder why. Both Moses and David were described as those who were shepherding God's people. And God himself in, in um, Psalm 23 is presented as a shepherd. Why? Why, is, why does God consider shepherding to be a noble profession? Well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, the obvious one, and, and that is that um, as much as we would like to think of ourselves as intelligent human beings, the truth is we're really like dumb sheep. I know you don't like to consider yourself in that category, um, but the truth is much of the time we sort of mope around and, and, and uh, drift from place to place without a real strong, clear idea of where we're going. Uh, we do stupid things just like sheep do. And frankly, without God in the picture, we would be lost. We would probably do some bright things like going off a cliff in pursuit of something. Uh, so first of all, there's our needs. Second of all, shepherding speaks about close association between the shepherd and the sheep. And we see that Yeshua picks up on that and notices and presents the fact that a major part of this is about the interaction between the shepherd and the sheep. That is why Yeshua begins by saying, I'm the gate for the sheep. In other words, I'm the one who is right then and there presenting himself as available for the sheep. And because of that, um, he, he is the one who goes with them in winter and in summer, and he goes before them. When you think about that, um, that's also a very personal touch because he goes before them rather than stand behind them and yelling at them. We see a very strong picture of that in, in Micah chapter 2, verse 13. Who, the, the one who breaks open the, the way will go before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them. The Lord is at their head. In Micah chapter 2, you have a very clear picture of the summer shepherding where you have some sort of temporary enclosure and uh, the sheep wake up in the morning, they're very restless, they want to go out and, and, and uh, chew their allotment of uh, uh, grass in, in the pasture and the shepherd gets up, he knocks out, he breaks open, breaks through the, um, the door and he goes out before them and then the sheep follow him. And this is the picture that Yeshua presents, the closeness. Um, I want to 
pick up in verse uh, 3 and 4 here in John. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls out his, his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them all out, he goes out ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know their voice. Now, you know that the hearing process has a couple of basic functions. One is that you actually make yourself available to hear. You listen. You are inclined to hear. In other words, you're not busy talking to somebody else. But, and then secondly, the, you get the actual physical act of, of hearing. The sound waves hit your ears. So you need both of those. Um, the sheep... Listen to his voice. Why? Because they recognize him. They've been around him for a while. They can tell the difference between his sound and the voice of somebody else. Later on in John, in the second, parab- second description, John says, rather Yeshua says, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And this, this notion of the sheep knowing the shepherd, the shepherd knowing the sheep is something that is repeated here a whole bunch of times. Why is that so crucial? Simply because hearing God's voice in Scripture isn't about the actual act of hearing, but the Hebrew word for hear, shma, always has the connotation with hearing with intent to follow and obey. In Scripture, the, the notion that you hear God's voice and then you say, nah, you know, I'm really not interested. I have other things to do. And when I am freed up, then I will do what you want me to do. This notion is absolutely ludicrous as far as the Word of God is concerned because you always have the expectation that when someone hears and listens, rather listens and hears the voice of God, that it would be natural for them to follow in the path that God has lined out for them. Hearing the voice of God and not following is considered the highest form of stupidity as far as Scripture is concerned. And when you think about it, the more you listen and hear and follow, the better you get at hearing and discerning the voice of God. And by the way, In Scripture, what you find is that hearing and obeying God's voice yields to to a clear understanding and discernment of the voice of God. In other words, obeying, hearing and obeying means that we are better capable then of hearing some more. Think about it. If God were to communicate to us and talk to us and we were... To say to him, uh, Lord, I'm really not interested. Do you think God would be inclined to come back and talk to us some more? Think about human relationships. If you have a friend and they are talking to, to you, texting you, email you, friending you, whatever, and, uh, and you choose to ignore them, they make a suggestion, why don't we go and do something, and you choose to ignore them, Do you think they'll come back and talk to you some more about doing something else? They'll blow you off. And that is what Scripture presents to us, 
that our hearing from God, our discerning His voice, is contingent on our desire to take what He tells us and then to follow and obey it. And contrary, the exact opposite, what we find in Scripture, particularly in Romans chapter 1, is that the rebels, the people that God has allowed to sink to, to their depravity, are the people that took what they knew of God and refused to accept it as bona fide truth and instead come up with their own truth and God said to them, okay, have at it. Do what you want. I'll just loosen you, I'll release you to do what you want. And so you have both sides of that. So the precondition for us being able to hear God and discerning His voice is our willingness to follow. And also part of the picture is that spiritual maturity is reflected in how we're able to discern the voice of God. Let me read to you a couple of verses in Ephesians, Ephesians 4. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, then we are no longer infants tossed back and forth by, by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. What does that tell us? It tells us that as we learn to listen to God, as we learn to follow Him in, in the path that He laid out for us, then we get better at hearing Him and also we get better at following in the path that He laid out for us. Contrary, as we are not inclined to listen to God, then we hear all kinds of voices. And, and this is the amazing thing today is you have all kinds of voices coming at you. We have a multitude of different kinds of media. You know, when I was growing up, you had a couple of things in, in Israel. You had radio and you had newspapers. Uh, we didn't have TV until Israel became much, much more advanced. Uh, but today in our culture, you have media coming at you from every possible direction. You have all kinds of voices and all kinds of people presuming to tell you what God wants you to do with a great deal of authority. And you have to be able to step back and lay all that before God and say, God, what do you think? You heard what so-and-so was saying. What do you think? What, what are you, your thoughts and your ideas rather than hear something and jump on it right away and end up getting into a pit, which is easy to do, but it's not what God has for us. You know, what I often hear from people is that a great deal of insecurity about God speaking to them. Does God want to speak to you? Is God capable of speaking to you? Does he know you well enough to communicate to you? Does he know how you're wired and, and can he then speak to you in a way that you can understand? The answer is, of course, yes. Psalm 25, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Simply saying, that because God is who He is, 
He's a good God. He's upright. Because of that, because he is upright, then it is his business to instruct us in the way which we should go. Why? Because he is more invested in you and I knowing the path that we need to take than we are. I know that sometimes comes as a shock to people. But think of it. If, if God has a plan, if God has a pattern for us to follow, does he want us to drift around and bang our head against the wall and, and try this and try that and try the other? Or is, is it in God's best interest for us to understand and to follow? I know that sounds kind of simple-minded because we, we have all these mystical and, and hyper-spiritual notions of how God communicates. But think of it this way, folks. If God created you, if God wired you, is He not capable of communicating to you? So the issue isn't about how cute and clever and profoundly spiritual you are. The issue is, is God capable of communicating to you? And if your answer to that is no, you're in sad shape. You're in sad shape. You really need to find out who God is and what God can do and what God cannot do. And one of the very basics is that God is capable and desiring to communicate His will to us. The challenge, of course, is for us to listen and to wait. And waiting is a dirty word. It's highly un-American. We don't like to wait. We want things to come in nanoseconds and, and, uh, and faster. You know, that's kind of the trend of technology is go faster and faster and faster. You know, I, I heard recently that now they are working on plans to come up with DNA computers. In other words, computers that are based on that very, very uh, tiny, absolutely tiny level, and somehow we'll be able to, instead of zero and one, they have another system of, of being able to communicate. Wait. And as you wait, your, earing, your hearing gets better. And as Yeshua said, the sheep know the master's voice, they never follow a stranger. And by the way, Scripture does not suggest to us that we should become experts and have PhDs in learning voices of strangers. Because if, if you were to try to do that, try to figure out every single possible weird, strange, spiritual teaching out there, you would do nothing all day long, nothing throughout your life other than attempting to classify and figure out exactly what kind of people are out there and what they're saying and, and how do you understand. All Yeshua is saying here, if you know the master's voice, if you know the shepherd's voice, that's all you need. Because then you'll be able to listen to another voice and clearly recognize that it is not the shepherd's voice. And you run away from it. You have nothing to do with it. You don't... You don't do with what Adam and Eve did and try to investigate and figure out and engage in, in, in dialogue. You just go the other way. Why? Because 
you're committed to the voice of the shepherd. You have that kind of relationship with a shepherd that he knows you, you know him, you recognize his voice, and when he speaks, you desire to follow. And the truth is, folks, for each one of us, God has a custom-designed way to communicate to us so that we get it in our own language. And so I can't stand here and say to you, God has to speak to you exactly the same way He does to me. That's obviously not the case. God has designed you and built you and wired you and knows you and knows how you can hear and hopefully how you can follow. That's part of the process here. Knowing, hearing, and following. A couple of words about those who are not shepherds. Yeshua speaks about a spectrum of people, those who are not shepherds, all the way from those who are simply strangers, um, just not part of the picture, all the way to the thief and then the robber who wants to come and steal the sheep and in in that process not only say to them, hey Dolly, Dolly, come here, or hey Mr. Ram, come here, let let me take you to a better place, but rather the robber comes with violence to take the sheep. And it's counterproductive when you think about it. Yeshua said in, in 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. When you think about it, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if you're really a thief, you'd want to take something for your own personal benefit. You know, if you want to steal a sheep, well, you take the sheep so that you have uh, a sheep or two or three or, or a flock um, to shear the wool and, and in, in time to have the, uh, the meat from the animal. But you basically do that in order to have them for, for your own self. But when you have a robber who comes to steal and kill and destroy, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? It speaks of vicious hatred for the sheep. By the way, the word for destroy here means to cease to cause, to cease to exist. Very strong word that obviously has strong connotations with, with Hasatan, the, the devil, whose commitment is to oppose the work of God and to bring about destruction of God's people. Yeshua speaks about that in Luke in the parable of the sower. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. In other words, God's plan for you are based on his heart of love for you and his desire to see you flourish. Satan's plans for you, on on the other hand, are the exact opposite. They're designed to bring about destruction. And so when you look around and you observe your life and other people's lives 
and you see a tendency towards self-destruction, you recognize the signature of Satan being very much at work there. I mentioned earlier the rash of destructive activity in the last few months, the Aurora shooting, the Sandy Hook uh, school killings, policemen in California turning rogue, a mother this week killing her children. And um, what does that tell you? It simply tells you that Satan is alive and well and is shifting into overdrive in order to do his destructive work because he knows that his time is short. But when you look not just at Sandy Hook, but when you look at your own life and you see self-destructive tendencies, you know who is at work. When you have those dark moments when life gets so intense and so overwhelming that you feel like you have had it and you want, it, you want life to finish and you have perhaps self-destructive tendencies, stop and acknowledge where it comes from. It does not come from the Lord because Yeshua has totally different plans which we'll talk about in a minute. That self-destructive tendency comes from the pit comes from Satan. Whether it's just thoughts and ideas about ending your life or, or whether it is something that you see where someone actually followed through and, and did that. The good news and where we park is not about the thief and the robber and the destroyer. The good news, folks, is about Yeshua. Yeshua came to destroy the works of the devil to neutralize the destructive work so that there is good redemptive work. Let me, let me read to you several statements about that. God anointed Yeshua of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all those who are under the power of the devil. This is Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Hebrews 2, 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil. John chapter th 1 John chapter 3, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You get where I'm going with this. The false shepherd, this case the robber and other false shepherds can expect to have God's judgment. And that, by the way, applies not only to Satan himself, but to those who are in positions of influence and authority who abuse it. God speaks very clearly to those who choose to abuse those who are under them. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment upon you for the evil you have done. This is in Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. Frankly, passages that put me in great fear of God 
Because all of us who are in positions of authority are accountable to God for how we take care of His sheep. But part of the picture that we see here in the dialogue is the fact that Yeshua knows us and He loves us to the extent that He was willing to sacrifice Himself for us. When you see these, this passage, it speaks five times of Yeshua's commitment to lay down His life. Five times. Yeshua says, I lay down my life. I lay down my life. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. When you wonder about the love of God for you, because of circumstances, stop and recognize what these verses are saying. That the good shepherd loves you so much that he made a wholehearted commitment to lay his life down for you, to sacrifice himself for you. That should clear any thoughts in your mind about the love of God for you and his good purposes for us. Yeshua makes a couple of other statements I want to park for a moment or so. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and out and find pasture. What does that suggest to you? That Yeshua is the gate. Well, among other things, um, He provides a place of rest and safety for us. Let me say that again. He provides a place of rest and safety for us. You know, with all the things that are going on in our life, all the circumstances, the finances, the health issues, the relationship issues. You know, sometimes you go through circumstances where you feel like everybody's out to get me. You ever feel that way? Or perhaps I'm the only paranoid one here. (laughs) You know, we, we have situations where it feels like One wave comes after another, after another, after another. And we can either focus on those waves and and go mishugi of these waves, or else we remember what the Lord says, that He provides a place of safety and rest for us, that we can come in, go out, and find pasture. In other words, we come in for safety, and renewal and refreshing and then the Lord sends us out to venture forth into new phases of life. And the statement that for me caps it all here is John 10, 10b. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now the Greek word there for, for full means that which is exceptional, outstanding, remarkable, unusual in the sense of being more than what is expected. More than enough, beyond the norm, abundant. Think about it. How often have you thought about God's provision for you as being crumbs that come from the master's table? You know, God wants me to suffer. He will somehow get me through, but it will be by the skin of my teeth. And, um, 
and somehow he will get the glory? I don't think so. What does it mean when Yeshua says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full? Obviously, this is referring to eternal life and life that we'll have with him when we see him. But folks, eternal life begins today. From the moment we sign on a dotted line and embrace Yeshua, we have eternal life. Life that is different from the rest of our life. A reality that is different than what we see around us. And yes, we struggle. And yes, we have difficulties. And yes, our faith gets wobbly. And yes, we have arguments with God, which we always lose, right? But at some point, somehow, in God's grace and God's faithfulness, somehow we hear His voice and we follow and He somehow moves us onward because that's His heart. And if our heart is towards God, then a year from now we're going to be farther along than we are today. And we're going to learn more about the goodness of God, not that the Lord gives us a Maserati, or a villa in south of France, but that the Lord provides for our needs, and most of all, folks, that we have this loving, strengthening, encouraging, anchoring relationship with God that keeps us going through the thick and, through the thick and thins, thins of life. And we learn that the Lord is good. In our beloved brother, Gary Dickinson, those that remember him, used to describe it by saying that we ask too little of God because we don't believe him. Perhaps we don't have the holy chutzpah to believe in him. And we just are content to receive the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Folks, that's a lose-lose proposition. It does us no good. It does the Lord no good. It brings shame unto Him because we anticipate that what He'll give us will be lukewarm leftovers. And what the Lord challenges us to do is to say, ask of me. Ask of me. Ask of me. I'll give you the, the life that I've designed for you that is life to the full. If you're willing to reach out, investigate, and embrace that full life. If you know the shepherd, you know that he's a good shepherd that he laid his life down for you, you will recognize the sin of unbelief and, and not trusting God for the fullness of what he has for you. If that's where you have been, stop today and, and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I want to believe what, for the fullness, the blessing that you have for me. I want to receive it. Let's pray. Please stand.
case you wonder, I'm not looking to put guilt on anybody because we're all fellow strugglers. Nor am I preaching a false prosperity gospel. But I'm teaching what the Word of God says, and that is that the Lord is good. That the Lord is good, folks. That in the midst of all the things that we struggle, we acknowledge that and we say, thank you, Lord, that you're good. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. That you are the good shepherd, that you know us, your sheep that you speak to us, that you desire for us to hear and to follow and to come in and out and find good pasture. Lord God, I pray for each of us that you strengthen our faith, Lord God, to see you as you really are and receive the goodness and the blessings you have for each one of us. Speak to us today, Lord God. Cause us to hear and embrace your word by faith. We ask this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.